Welcome back to the Like a Bigfoot podcast. I'm your host, Chris Ward. This week, we are sitting down with an incredible athlete, runner, uh, Emily Ketty. Uh, we're going to talk about all sorts of awesome stuff. We're going to talk about her experiences in uh, the 200-mile races. I, she's taken on Moab 240. She's completed Tahoe 200. Actually, she's completed both those. Uh, and now she is has her eyes set on the Coca Dona 250. So that's super exciting. Um, we dive in a little bit on her experience in the snowman race, which is this stage race through Bhutan. Um, and there's a, we did a whole episode with Ashley Winchester about that. Um, she went out there with Ashley um, and a handful of runners who were invited for that race to take that on. So we, we talk about that a little bit at the end. Um, and then really like our main topic here is kind of this idea of the imposter syndrome. And, um, if you haven't heard of the imposter syndrome, uh, I almost can guarantee you, you've experienced it. Uh, but it's basically when you are kind of like it, you know, people have in all areas of life, but let's just pretend for a second. I'll, I'll share a story. I remember, um, my first day of teaching, right? And I'm like a 20, whatever, 23 year old. And all of a sudden I'm in charge of a classroom full of seventh graders. And I remember looking around being like, oh my God, like I'm not a teacher yet. Like I'm, I can't be a teacher. A teacher is all those people I looked up to when I was a kid. And surely they wouldn't let me do this. Like I'm just gonna be an imposter like i'm a poser right now i'm posing as a teacher um when in reality and logically if you're doing the thing then you are the thing right like i remember starting this podcast and the first few interviews i did with people who i actually hadn't met like athletes um who i admired and looked up to i remember thinking to myself like oh my god they're gonna find out that i don't know what i'm doing that I'm an imposter. <laughs> um, and it's just something that we all kind of struggle with uh, when starting anything new or really like pursuing big goals and things that are important to us. Like a lot of times we get into passions because we look up to people and we want to um, fit in with with our version of what what we think of them, you know? And it's hard. It's a hard thing to deal with. Um, oh, okay. Here's the smart way of saying what I just said because I just typed it in. Uh, I guess it's basically the idea of like it's the internal psychological experience. Hold on, let me adjust my my uh my cool glasses here. Uh, it's the internal psychological experience of feeling like a phony in some area of your life. Um, and so it's something I think most of us can relate to, and most of us. Uh, have experienced. So I'm super grateful for Emily to be able to sit down and talk with her about that feeling like as an athlete getting into these ultra runner uh, ultra runs. So um, that's definitely something that is uh, was exciting for me to explore and kind of hear her thoughts and ideas about it. And um, like I said, I think it's a very human feeling to have. And I think it's something probably all of us have faced in different aspects of our lives. So um, all right, let's just dive in. This is uh, Like a Bigfoot podcast number 322 with Emily Ketty. Mm-hmm. 
Emily, you are just an absolute amazing runner, amazing athlete. And uh, I'm super psyched to talk with you and hear about some of the adventures you've taken on. So thanks for thanks for coming on. Thank you so much. That's um, it. That never gets uh, like less crazy to hear someone. <laughs> you that way so thank you <laughs> yeah well and that's kind of like one of the topics i wanted to dive into which is this whole like um kind of like when you're taking on a new hat or a new role or you're trying to become xyz like how that kind of affects your mindset and mentality and things like that um but before we dive into that i was looking at your instagram today and i saw that one of your friends has described you as 52% human, 31% mountain lion, 16% lizard, and then 1% squirrel. So I want to like dive into that. Yeah. Sure. Explain that's, yourself. That's friends, Erica. <laughs> yeah. Um, we were just, we were, we have a group chat actually with her and my other friend, Erica. Um, and both of them right now, unfortunately, have been sidelined with some ankle injuries. So it's been it's been a weird winter for all of us because we're all usually really active. But um, yeah, I don't I don't remember exactly where that conversation came up, but she did. She described each of us. Um, of course, when I asked her what her own like personality breakdown was, she just said it was 100 percent that bitch. Very. So, <laughs> <laughs> on brand for her um yeah I liked it I was like I don't know where the lizard comes from but I think I mean they're cool like I they they kind of like lay in the sun and just kind of lay around sometimes and do nothing and just stay still and try not to be seen and that's very much me actually sometimes too um mountain lion I get it <laughs> rar in the mountains um and then the squirrel part I I very much understand that too I'm probably much more than 1%. <laughs> like, oh, <laughs> there's distractions, um, off task. So uh... See, my thought was like lizard. Yeah, definitely like lay around, conserve energy, things like that. But then you can like take off in an instant, you know, like you just like you go from zero to like 100. And I, I didn't know if that was why. You know what, that's, that's a great point. Um, 100%. Yep. Yeah, um, just completely like laying still and then just pivot onto something else completely. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, I do that too. <laughs> and then squirrel, I was like, I feel like squirrels that ultra runner mindset, like you're adaptable, you can live in pretty much any location you want, you know, like our squirrels at my house, like those things like have chewed through literally everything I own outside, like they just chew through it. Like we had this whole like, fancy outdoor chair kind of situation. And mm -hmm. they kept stealing all the stuffing from the pillows uh, for like yeah. two years. And I was like, where's this stuffing going? And then finally I looked up in my neighbor's tree and they had like a cool little nest and I'm like, ah, got to respect them. <laughs> yeah. Just taking what they need and foraging and, uh, yeah. And like hoarding too, like <laughs> all the food stuff in their cheeks. That's <laughs> I do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, so I want to dive into a bunch of different like events and, and things along the way. Um, but I kind of want to hear like where you started out at, you know, in this whole kind of ultra running thing or just being an athlete kind of situation. Like, is that something that has been with you your whole life or is this kind of like a new, a new thing? 
Um, a little bit. I, but I, I don't have like any kind of a college athlete competitive background. Um, I think that the most I did in college was a, a club field hockey team and which was more, um, about like the partying and social than anything else. Um, and then the high school I did, I did and like I did track and basketball and soccer, but that was social too. I didn't excel at any of them. I did want to, um, I really admired my friends who were like the rock stars. Um, I just, I don't know if it was lack of discipline or just lack of like the raw natural talent or just being a high schooler is hard and awkward. And um, not all of us are like fully grown into our bodies yet. Um, and so I I didn't shine and that was okay. Um, but it wasn't until much later I got into some like in graduate school my in my mid to late twenties I was more into long distance hiking and then gradually got into um, like some like endurance hiking and then dove into in my early thirties um, dove into ultras um, starting like with a fifty k and then fifty miler and then um, it was interesting because I I was like this bright eyed like bushy-tailed, brand new to ultra running, knew nothing, totally clean slate. Um, like, you know, again, had never competitively ran. So I never was, you know, coached or anything. And, um, and I enjoyed it. I loved the training. I loved being, be outside a ton. And, um, I just, and I, it felt rewarding and to, to go to a race and do well, that felt really good. And then it just was like, okay, what, what next distance can I do? And everyone around me, like, I remember um, my boss at work um, gave me a bottle of wine as a congrats after my first 50 K. And at this point, nobody at work cares that I will go 200 miles, <laughs> Like, there's no more bottles of wine being given to me. They're just like, she's, she's crazy. And we don't understand what she's doing. Um, so it's this perspective shift for me and everybody around me of, oh, I'm doing this incredible like 50K, 50 mile distance. Um, and now it's, you know, maybe four years later, I've settled into this is what I do. Um, I work really hard at it all the time. These are the distances of races I do. And it, it's much more normal, but in a way, it sometimes it works against me because. I don't have that same like bright eyed, naive, like this is all new and exciting. I put a lot more pressure on myself and it's not always glorious and training can be really a grind sometimes and, and I'm deep in it now. So uh, it's, a, it's a different place, but I still, I still love it. Yeah. Yeah. You're kind of like, why I need more bottles of wine now because I need like calorie replacement here, folks at work. Come on. I do. I do really enjoy wine. I drink plenty of wine. So <laughs> recently, if it came down to like, if, if running came down to like not eating, you know, bread and pizza and bagels or like not drinking, I just wouldn't do it because I get lots of pleasure out of those things. So <laughs> all about um, balance. <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. Well, you hit on a bunch of things that I have written down that I want to dive into. Um, I'd, at first, can I hear a little bit about just being like a through hiker? Um, I saw that you through hiked the PCT, which is so cool. And I want to hear about how that can kind of be like a stepping stone into these like longer distance runs. Totally. Um, 
So through hiking the PCT 2016, um, it's, uh, it's, it's a huge experience. I mean, you dedicate, I would say for most people going on a, um, I want to say like a, a typical through hike of the PCT, you're planning five to six months, give or take, um, to be out there. And so it's, a, it's, that's a long enough amount of time to feel a pretty massive lifestyle change. I think that's one big reason why when people complete a through hike, they feel like, um, quite like the adjustment disorder or a feeling of post-trail depression that's talked about a lot because you've now like completely immersed yourself in a different like way of living uh, and met tons of people and really gotten used to just being disconnected for a lot of the time and being in nature then uh, you have to kind of go go back to your life um, as it was before which a lot of times it's not like it was before, whether you um, are going back to your same job, but now you've had this life-changing experience or, you know, your job's not there or you are going to a different living situation or whatever. Um, so it's, it's a big interruption, but I think it's just a life-changing and really ultimately positive experience that um, I highly recommend. Yeah. <laughs> so- um, it was my first time that I had been out West cause I was living, um, I grew up in New York state and that's where I lived at the time. Um, so it was my first time exploring the West coast and what better way to do it and visit all these towns and, um, see everything and see, you know, the three States, um, then on foot. So it was, it was really incredible. I think that lending itself to ultra running, um, because it seems like a lot of through hikers also are ultra runners, either they already were or they become that. Um, and I think a lot of it just has to do with you build up a lot of endurance. You love to spend lots of time outside. And after through hiking, if you want, if you still crave that, um, being an ultra runner, either casually or more, um, intentionally or professionally, is a, is a great way to kind of maintain that connection to spending a lot of time outside. Um, yeah. Was the, so you mentioned the kind of like post trail blues that people get. I mean, I have to imagine that a lot of it goes from you're spending time with this group of people who have this really clear purpose and, you know, are somewhat like-minded if you're all out there. Like, I'm sure everyone's out there for different reasons, and yet you're seeking it, your answers in the same way. But you're surrounded by all these people with like this clear purpose, this clear kind of understanding of who they are and whether that forms throughout the hike or whatever. But then you come back and, you know, it's hard. Like day to day, there's so many distractions. I don't think people have a lot of time to think about their purpose and to think about like who they are and how they're showing up in the day to day world. And that has to be weird. Yeah, totally. I mean, your, your purpose, um, when you're out there is to, and again, like when you hike the PCT, this is, it's a vacation. Um, it is a a luxury. It is an opportunity. It's not, it, it's something that not everybody can just pick up their lives or, you know, pause everything and, and do it. Um, I mean, people certainly, there's a huge range of how people make it happen and the sacrifices that people do or don't have to make in order for it to happen. So, I mean, it's, it's, I think an honorable way to spend time in your life. Um, but, but it's, 
complicated because so you've chosen to do this big thing and you're kind of um, setting out from your life as you knew it. And then, yeah, out there, your purpose day to day is just to walk. Um, it's to, you know, plan your eating and your water sources. Um, and, and your job is just to walk and carry everything on your back, um, which really simplifies life. And it's so beautiful when, when that is all you need to do. You really, um, you appreciate the world. You appreciate people you come across who help you or who give you things, trail angels and getting trail magic. And you just, um, I think, develop such a big appreciation for things that you, you know, in everyday life, you don't think about. Um, so then coming home, that that is then, like you, 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 it's kind of a battle. You're trying to hold on to that, but you're no longer in that setting where where you were able to just so easily slip into well this is these are the simple things yeah. Uh, so yeah people people struggle with that a yeah. lot i could see i i mean i could see why because there is that like oh i learned these great and even like after ultras this happens to me anyways where i'm like oh i have this amazing realization and then i'm just like it's like floating away and i'm like trying to hold on to it as like real life comes back into play <laughs> Totally. Oh, I, I get that after some big races um, where, you know, it's it's like everything has led up to this and then it's over and you're kind of like, oh, um, yeah, it's, it's, e it's funny. It's easy to think like everything led up to this when you just climbed a hill in like yeah. an ultra. And yet, like when you're at home and you're like doing the dishes, obviously everything also led up to that. But you don't <laughs> think that. <laughs> Right. It's it, the, the way that we think about about things like that is really interesting. Um, I think some of that like post event letdown has faded for me over time. Um, just over the past few years, I've I've felt less of that because for one thing, some of the events are just so big that I'm I'm glad they're over. <laughs> um, but also, I usually have such a schedule of upcoming things and an, an interesting balance of different, like not just races, but big, like backpacking trips with my partner or, um, other vacations, um, you know, fun, fun running events with my friends. Um, so not all races that come with, you know, this is how I have to train and, and an amount of pressure and expectations. Um, so kind of having a variety of things planned through the year, I think helps with that too. Yeah. Yeah. I want to hear uh, about your 200 mile uh, races here. And I want to hear how that connects with kind of like your goals in the sport. Yeah. Um, so I, I think I pretty much just <laughs> every, every longer distance that I've done, I think has just been a new way to test myself or see like, where are my limits? What are my boundaries? Um, because I'm not a like speed runner I mean, I can run, <laughs> I feel really proud of myself when I can run like, um, you know, maybe a six fifty mile or something, but like, I'm not going to be that for miles. <laughs> um, and so I, I like that instead I can just run really far or kind of combine the mentality of being out, um, you know, for nights at a time. Um, and whether I'm doing a combination of running and walking, like in a 200 miler, um, uh, 
that, that that's my strength and I can kind of, it's, it's more mental. Um, I think at the end of the day, because I think really physically we highly underestimate what we can do. I think, I think you can hit your physical limits when you're where, when you're trying to be fast, um, much more often than when you're trying to go far. Cause I think we can, we can go really far. Um, it's just how far can you go in what amount of time? Um, that's really interesting to me. So that's where I'm testing myself more. Um, but I think when I, when I signed up for Moab, it was more like, okay, I've done a hundred miles, you know, a 200 miler is kind of the next distance of race and, oh, it's 240. Like after it, it doesn't like after you hit a really long distance, like that, that extra 40 didn't really seem to mean anything. So um, wait, let me ask that because I've had I, multiple people kind of tell me that because I'm like Moab 240 sounds awesome, but it's 240 miles. They're like, oh, like that's not big. That's not a huge difference from 200. And I'm like, did you, okay, so let me ask, did you think that going in or is this kind of like a post, like thinking back on it, you're like, oh, the extra 40 was just 40 more, but like going in, were you worried about that? I wasn't worried, I guess. I think going into it, cause I had, I had thought about doing, um, like one of the 200 mile races, which when I started, there were, there were three here in the U S and they're all destination trails. Um, and so I wasn't really into the Bigfoot 200, um, up in Washington, um, nothing against Mount St. Helens. Like for some reason, I'm not super attracted to that race. And now it kind of makes me want to do it. Cause I'm, a lot of people love it. So I feel like I'm just missing something. Um, and, and maybe I will really love it, but I thought about then Tahoe and then Moab. And I thought, you know, if I'm going to run a huge race, let it be somewhere. So like like with, with a lot of stark contrast to where I live and somewhere insanely beautiful that I really want to explore. Cause that's another big thing is if I'm going to, you know, do a huge race like that and, and go to a new area, how, how cool to be able to see it all on, on foot, which is a really romantic way because there's parts of it that I'm just trudging through and it's dark out and I can't see anything anyway, but, um, but it makes it sound appealing. So, um, I, I think I ended up signing up for Moab. Just, I was like, let's just, let's just go for it. I had no concept of 200 miles and there's no way to explain to your body what 200 miles is going to feel like, um, like for, for like a hundred K you can say, okay, I'm going to be out for less than 12 hours. So we start early in the morning. I'll be done around dinner, um, for, you know, a hundred miler, you know, you're going to be out overnight for one night, but then you'll finish at some point the next day. And usually you can handle doing that without having to sleep or having to sleep too much. But when you get into these like higher, like 200 mile distances, um, at the, at the race starting line, there is no way to like tell your body what you're about to do other than just to be like, all right, I'm going out and I'm not coming back today. I'm not going to be back tomorrow. And a lot of stuff is going to happen. And I have no idea, like shit's going to go down. There's a lot that's unpredictable. Here we are. Let's just dive in. Um, that's what's appealing to me. I don't know why, like that unknown and just unknown physically and mentally. And even like, yeah, I, that's just what, 
draws me in and that's why i love hearing about the 200s is why it's like piqued my interest for all these years and i've yet to find the guts to uh i'll admit it i haven't found the guts yet to to sign up but uh but yeah, yeah. that's that fascinates me yeah it's, it's just like a big adventure yeah. um and for these races i mean a lot of them in order to finish in the in the time allotted you've got to travel like two and a half miles an hour on average, which sounds really easy, but that's a constant for like a hundred and or 115 hours. So in reality, you, you have to move faster than that because you're going to sleep. You're going to stop. You're going to rest. You're going to lay in the dirt and question your decisions. You're going to be eating. Um, yeah. So I think like for, for one of my upcoming races in order to hit my goal time, um, I was doing the math and it's like 3.1 miles an hour. And that's a little bit intimidating to me because it sounds slow, but that's an average over the entire time I want to finish in. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a whole nother world. It's a different game than a hundred miler completely. So, um, and this I'm, I'm about to do my third one this year. Um, and you learn so much from each one you do but I'm still a total newbie at them. Like, I feel like I am experienced now and I'm dialing things in, but I've only done two. So, um, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's, I feel like I'm doing an experiment on myself. Yeah. Um, and I prepare and there's just so much to learn about yourself. And, um, and then you add in all of the other people who are there, who are doing it or volunteering, who are supporting you. And it's this, uh, massive like niche event <laughs> that most of the world doesn't know or care about, but it's everything. Like when you're doing it, it's the whole universe to you um, and everyone who's helping you complete it and everyone who's doing it alongside you. It's a really neat experience. That's, oh man, that sounds so cool. I wanted, so I saw your post about the Tahoe 200, which was your last one. And I, I know that it was like a struggle for you and you had to push through some really dark times. Can you kind of talk about that? Totally. Um, I had, so at Tahoe, I had my, my dream team, um, like my closest friends, people who know me really well. Um, my partner was there with me. I, I was so pumped for that race. Um, and I just knew that I wanted to improve on how I performed at Moab, which was my first one. Um, and then, so for the Tahoe course, usually it goes around the lake. Like it, it goes quite a ways away from it at one point to make it long enough. Um, but a lot of it's on the Tahoe rim trail, but because of the fires they had, um, summer before last, um, the, this year and last year when I ran it, um, they did an out and back. So it was, um, a hundred miles turn around and then do the same hundred in reverse. So it didn't go all the way around the lake which was fine. It's beautiful. But for some reason at mile 100, which, um, so last year we started, um, on the West side at a ski resort, um, and then kind of went clockwise around to heavenly ski resort. Um, so big climb up there and at a hundred miles, I got there and I was so disinterested in continuing. Um, and I knew like, it's like there was a volunteer running out on the race course and, and people are watching you cause they're tracking you. So when you come into aid stations, um, like sometimes people there are expecting you or they know what place you're in. 
And then I can, of course, be on my phone, like finding out, which I try not to do too much until later in when I, when I need to kind of push myself, but my crew tracks me, of course. And, uh, I was doing well. I think I was in second place at that point. Um, and there was just no reason for me not to think I could continue, but I knew that I had to just turn around and kind of reverse what I had just done. <laughs> and I was just not interested in doing that. I, I was at the point where I told my, my friends that, um, I I've gotten what I wanted to get out of this race. I've totally felt what I needed and I will be so happy to, to bow out at this point. Um, which was really ridiculous. And I, I felt pretty bad about just the fact that I felt that way. I was kind of hard on myself after the fact. Um, because what does that say about me as a racer in a hard, you know, a big run that, I was so ready to quit, even though I was doing so well. And I still had a hundred miles left. I was only halfway done. Um, I mean, I didn't quit. Uh, it took a lot of convincing and it, it took a nap about an hour or so and some eating. And then my friends really encouraging me. Um, and I think that was just a wall that I hit that was, you know, maybe instead of um, being a brick wall, it was like, titanium or something like it just it was a harder wall to get past and you think you know yourself and how to get past mental barriers until you get a barrier like that I think I think that is my biggest lesson from Tahoe is <laughs> my mind was really like trying to tell me like, oh no, you're fulfilled. You don't have to keep doing this. And that was just my brain hitting a barrier and really throwing a, a sinister spin on it that I wasn't expecting. So much so that I didn't see it as just a wall. I saw it as I really thought that I was done and, yeah. and would have been fine with it. Um, so I think that's just another thing to watch out for in these races is is your your mind will try to tell you things like that or or you might not see something coming um that that you think is a good reason to quit and it's not yeah yeah well it reminds me of i don't know if you ever read the book the war of art by stephen pressfield the art of war no there's it's like a flip-flop it's like a whole thing like he was like hey oh. i'm doing a clever twist or something <laughs> oh, okay. um but it's it's kind of about like creative battles, but it reminds me of something in there where like the whole first third of the book talks about resistance and why we have it and where we get resistance from and things like that. And one of the big ideas that really stuck with me was like, the more you want something, the more resistance you're, you're going to create in your own mind. Like, and really, if you kind of like reinterpret those like conversations as um like my like just like you did like you reinterpreted it as oh my brain is really trying to stop me right now that must mean i really want this i really want to accomplish this that kind of thing and i always i found that such an interesting idea and it's helpful for me when i start facing like self-doubt on different projects or different things that i'm working on or or athletic events it's like hey like my brain is showing me how much I want this by trying to get me to stop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that it's like this duality that like they're working against each other. Like you want it more. It's even like, it's more loaded. Well, it's yeah. going to be, you know, 
we're going to throw, throw more and more hurdles at you <laughs> kind of that are harder to, to jump over. Yeah. That's so you, fun. you, you talked about the nap and eating, which always is a good, solid piece of advice. Oh, um, always. Or you quit, like, first of all, you don't, you don't quit at an aid station. It's too easy. If you're going to really quit, quit when you're like 10 miles out of the aid station and then you have to walk back. <laughs> but yeah, I, you always take a nap if you really are like you think you're gonna quit and then think about it again <laughs> it's the same thing i tell my my kids i'm like hey take a nap eat some food it's the things none of my kids want to do but i'm like do those things first and then we can talk about how upset you are at your sisters or whatever um and, and we those things we resist them so much we don't want to calm down or cool off or make rational decisions um at least i don't <laughs> yeah well it's and it's just like these human needs like once you meet these very human basic things like you can actually start realizing like oh i can actually keep pushing through yeah but i do want to hear like was there a specific conversation either with like a crew member or just in your own mental battle in your head that really got you motivated to keep going so i had um there, there were several things. Um, for one, so at, at Moab, there was an aid station um, that I ran into where this this little boy who was volunteering with his parents, um, uh, he kind of ran out and then met me and ran into the aid station with me. And then he proceeded to like take care of me. So took my poles and got me mashed potatoes and was like, what do you want to drink? And he was just this sweet, sweet kid. Um, and, and made such a huge difference in, in my race, just, um, you know, just, just having a little kid there who was so motivated to help me. Um, I had seen him after that race and kind of linked up with his mom on Instagram. And, um, when I ran Tahoe, I had no idea he was going to be there, but 10 miles in at the very first aid station, um, his, his dad was there. And then he, I was like leaving the aid station. He was like, someone wants to say hi to you. And it was him. And it was mind blowing um, to see him again. I had no idea. And he's like a little older. And, um, and so that was really exciting. So I knew at Tahoe that he was rooting for me and that he was there just watching and knowing that like one of the things that really drives me is knowing that there is, you know, a young person watching me and that what I do could have an impact on them is very meaningful. Um, so then, uh, I also, when I woke up from my nap, um, I had gotten a message from my partner. Um, he was, he was down in California. He wasn't there yet. He came to the race more towards the end to run with me, but his kids had, um, like drawn on a chalkboard, a good luck message. And we love you, Emily. Uh, and I was like, Oh my God, I can't quit now. Like <laughs> not, not after seeing that. Um, and then my, my crew mother, Kelsey, um, her husband, Alex has paced me a lot. And, um, and Kelsey was there just, she takes care of everything. She charges everything. She gets all my gear set up around me and helps me make good choices. And, um, she, she talked to me about continuing. And then I was also about to, uh, pick up a new pacer, my friend, Kevin, who's, um, also a through hiker and is 
hilarious. He was at Moab and we just have a righteous time together, um, running, hiking in these big, long races. And I knew he would lift my spirits. And so we have this picture of the two of us at Heavenly all bundled up and ready to go. That's the other thing is we were going out into the night. It was going to start getting dark very soon. It was also very cold, very windy, and it sucks going outside from like a cozy, warm nap. And I'm so this picture of us, I'm standing like holding the trash can um, because I just felt like an absolute bag of trash. And I'm like, look, I'm trash. Here we go. And it was like, let's just just embrace it and we'll get to the next aid station and I'll get to my next pacer and we will just go. Um, and we did. And Kevin was incredible. So um, leaving Heavenly he, every single person we passed, he was like their cheerleader. And I think actually that was his trail name. Now that I'm thinking of it on the PCT cheerleader, it was, he told everyone we passed, good job, great job. You're crushing it. You're killing it as we're going downhill and they're all coming uphill to the aid station. We just left. And, and I'm just kind of shuffling along miserable. And, and he was just, uh, such a mood lifter, not just for me, but for everybody. Um, so, so that was that was amazing and i just kept going and you powered through and finished second yeah <laughs> yeah it was <laughs> that's crazy and just walked by and he's laughing <laughs> yeah it, it, to put it to put it in a real you know short story powered through finished second um it got to be kind of a real a real race at the end because i got into um, an aid station around mile 170 and there all of a sudden, like I had been in second place and then I wasn't. And then there were a few other, um, a few other women who were like right around that point. So I was like, oh my gosh, 30 miles left. How can I, how can I make this happen? Um, and, and then I got really tired, like through the, that one next night, that final night had to take some dirt naps. Um, there, there was a lot of moving and shifting of like the second, third, fourth place women. And I was having, I, at that point I told my pacers, I was like, you have to, you have to let me know where everyone is spaced because I hadn't gone into that race thinking, oh, I'm going to be on the podium. But once I got that far in and it was a possibility, I just thought if I can make this happen, like how incredible would that be? Just, I not having expected it. Um, and it wasn't until I left the last aid station about 10 miles before the finish. Um, I left that aid station in second place. There was another woman at, at the aid station and then another one behind her, like almost there. And I was like, you guys, we have to go. This is the, this is the break. This is the opportunity. Um, and then, and Dan ran me in that last 10 miles and his job was solely to make me move as fast as possible. And he did an incredible job. I've never seen move so fast um so th that yeah, that was pretty amazing a huge change throughout the course of that race mentally yeah well i think mentally like it has to be weird to turn the competitive switch on like that late when you're that exhausted um but also i think i i can't imagine there's any way you keep the competitive switch on for like four, upwards of four days you know yeah, which is so going into my next race, I did like a big pivot this year. I had I like had my races planned out and and then I just kind of like threw it all up in the air. 
<laughs> let them kind of settle um just like in the past week so uh going into the next race um i know i have some competition and i know them um like i i know they're like past race results and experience and um knowing that i'm going into it in a competitive way and that i know some other ladies who are definitely also and women that i really admire and kind of measure myself against sometimes which can also be not good but can be motivating at the same time um it's gonna be interesting because i think i'm gonna feel much more competitive pressure and so this will be like the first 200 where i felt that from the very start yeah um, what, what race are you doing emily uh so the cocodona 250 that's what i thought would ask me a month ago i would have been like no i'm not gonna do that race <laughs> um i really wanted to do moab again i was really pumped to go back to moab repeat it um be familiar with much of the course and improve my performance and just measure it up like against myself um and then i didn't get into the lottery um which i like had convinced myself that i was gonna get in and there's just never guarantees so I was a little disappointed but then also um i have to remind myself like if i if i volunteered i would i could get an entry next year um if i don't do that you know there's always a chance i can apply for next year um if you register for the triple crown you bypass the lotteries like there's there's all different things that can happen but at the end of the day lots of races are lotteries and you just have to kind of if you don't get in you can pivot and so I did a massive pivot. A lot of times when something like that happens and I'm, I'm kind of disappointed, I will just, uh, I won't really think about it too much or I won't think about anything. I'll just make a very fast <laughs> switcheroo <laughs> and, um, because I just, I'm, I get a little like overexcited, I guess, um, impulsive. Yeah. Um, so I was like, um, I essentially was like, I, I need a, I need a push to sign up and we'll just pivot to Cocodona. It's also in Arizona or well, Moab is Utah, but it's also in the Southwest um, desert. It's also a really long 200 plus mile race. It's 250. Um, and so I was like, Oh, if this, you know, I didn't get into Moab, but I'm thinking about doing this. And if like 250 people like this post, I'll run. And I thought, well, that's not, I've already run 240. It's not that much of a stretch. It's not like pulling out of a hat. Um, but yeah, I just figured if I could get a little peer pressure, then I would then I would do it. And so lots and lots of people liked the post. And I was like, okay, I'll I'll run that then. Yeah. So uh that that was my pivot. And I'm I'm excited and intimidated now. Yeah. <laughs> is there any like is there any worry? that going into it with a more competitive mindset is going to be like burning the candle at both ends on like a super long race like that. You know what I mean? Like, or do you save those spurts of competitiveness like strategically throughout the event? Both. Yeah. Uh, that, I am nervous about that, that burning the candle at both ends thing, because I'm not worried that, that, that feeling pressure will like make me go out too fast or anything like that. I always go out fast in races. Um, I know a lot of people say like, that's not good, but for me it works because mentally I do better when I'm 
maintaining my position in a race than if I have to catch up to people. It just, it's just mentally, um, it works better for me. And I haven't found in a race yet that I've burned myself out too much early in a 200 miler. Also, it's so long there. You're going to get exhausted at some points. Um, in like at Moab, I, my body got to a point where I physically couldn't run like my, my legs, like the muscle movement wouldn't, wouldn't let me actually do the running movement. And then, and it like turned off at one point. And so I was just speed hiking. And then, um, after I took a short nap at an aid station, I got up and all of a sudden I found I could run again. It was bizarre. Um, but like weird things like that happen. So I do think though, my mental energy, I have to be really careful. I think I have to be careful going into Cocodona, knowing that I cannot do that race just expecting to, to get a certain place or perform at a certain time. Um, all hell could break loose. I could get sick. I could get injured. I could just really not be feeling it. It could be a race that I just, um, that I just complete, um, which is a huge accomplishment in and of itself. So I really have to keep that perspective and it, it does take work and effort to remind, I have to remind myself like leading up to it. Um, and just, and not just take, you know, take for granted or assume that, um, I'm going to, you know, perform a certain way and I have no control over how other people perform either. So just having a goal for a race, um, is good, but I personally have to be careful when I, when I set goals, they really have to be for myself. Um, and, and they, they also kind of have to be partially things that I control that I can control. Um, so like for Cocodona, completing the race needs to be a, a primary goal. And then if something happens where I can't complete it, which would, which would really be like physical, then that's kind of out of my hands. Yeah. Um, that better. Um, but always having a goal that I know that if I stick it out and mentally, physically work hard, um, something like that. And then, and then, you know, a higher order goal like finishing in the top 10 or top five on the podium yeah what's so that's so exciting like that race i mean all the 200s like i said they just completely capture my imagination but cocodona the idea of like starting in one not even just like one town and finishing another it's like you're starting in like a whole different part of the state (laughs) and then finishing that's different too because like moab's a huge one huge loop yeah Um, was out and back and then yeah. this being point is is totally a different beast so it'll be interesting and they do i mean that the company that puts it on is incredible i've mm-hmm. run with them before. um but also the live coverage they have i've never thought i would pay so much attention to live coverage of like an ultra race because it sounds really boring but when they're doing it like so the the two years they've had it so far, I find myself pretty, pretty glued and like continually checking in just because they do such a good job. So I'm excited to be part of that. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, um, my friend Thomas Mullins ran it and he always runs in this like really cool cowboy hat. He's from Texas and stuff. Like you have to, you're, you're contractually obligated if you're from Texas, you know, to run a cowboy hat. And I just remember like looking at the feed, trying to find the little cowboy hat as they're showing like the drone shots and stuff, but yeah, they do, they do a really good job. And like, I'm, I'm excited to see how that aspect 
grows the whole like live coverage of these things and and all of that so and then year three like i just imagine it's going to get better and better for them totally which would be cool but i do want to hear like kind of to wrap up is something we talked about at the very beginning which really is this idea of i mean it kind of almost sounds like you're you want to kind of pivot into this whole like being a runner like you already have um, but then feeling almost like the imposter syndrome because of that. Can you kind of talk about that a bit? Because I think yeah. so many people can relate in so many aspects of life. Yeah. So it's funny because um, uh, a friend of mine, Nate, um, sent or he posted this really funny meme the other day. It was It was the Kermit the Frog meme with like Kermit and then dark Kermit with the hood. Um, <laughs> and it it was like, Oh, something about, I feel imposter syndrome. And then dark Kermit was like, you're not even good enough to feel imposter syndrome. <laughs> like, Amazing. Wow. That, that hit, <laughs> that hit home. Um, because I think where I'm at now, I often like question, like, have I just been lucky? Do I really like, am I really capable of being, um, real like professional runner um how like do i really have that talent do i work that hard is what i'm doing in my life uh you know I, how does that measure up against other ultra runners and am i am i disciplined enough and um just a lot of comparison and like how will i know when i'm at that level um, because even at this point, I feel like I can't predict how I will do it. Not that anyone can ever predict how they will do because even the best ultra runners, um, have terrible race days drop or don't finish, you know, anywhere near the time they thought they would. Um, but, but I just, I, I think part of the difficulty is there's no clear picture of what an ultra runner looks like. Um, yeah. No, you're not hours and hours at the track doing drills and sprints and getting you know like strength work like there's not there's no prescribed training for a 100 mile race or a 200 mile race and people come from so many different backgrounds to do them um uh, and there's no like real i mean besides like the place you got there's no real kind of like measurement for how you do you know like you could do a flat ultra and run really fast and then the next one you're doing is a mountain one you're you're like wow that took like a billion more hours or whatever and there's no like way to measure against yourself almost which is hard because most sports they have you know stats and and ways to measure that yeah and the ultra races are all so different and it's really hard to to measure difficulty of like one race next to another so it's almost like for most of them, you just have, you would have to repeat it, um, to, to compare your own time and effort. But even then you've got, I mean, from year to year, it's not yeah. going to be environment as far as the weather and the temperature, um, or even the race courses change a lot. So, um, yeah, so it, it's, it's hard to kind of measure your success. And I think, um, I think ultra running me a little bit by surprise and it was just a, a very different like I would never have thought my life had gone would go in this direction so there's a sense of like 
not feeling like I belong, um, still kind of feeling like a tube in the sport and, you know, trying to figure out where I fit in, um, feeling like I should be faster or be, you know, more this, more that, um, and just a kind of a lack of, uh, like solid baseline confidence that I'm, that I am doing well and I'm, and that if I'm happy and enjoy it, why does it even <laughs> matter? Yeah. Um, no, it's so hard. Like the imposter syndrome, so stupid. Like you're like, oh, I hate this so much because my first instinct was to tell you like, well, of course, like everybody feels that about anything and everyone like you can hear that and you can hear it over and over and over again. And everyone's like, yeah, like all the most successful people feel the imposter syndrome and feel like someday people are going to realize that I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> um, but just saying it and like logically you can realize that you know and but like it's just hard it's just an illogical thing that people struggle with you know and i was thinking back my favorite imposter syndrome story for myself was when i first started this podcast uh -huh. and uh i set up this really cool interview um this lady had an awesome TED talk. She wrote this really cool book about like a, being an adventurous girl and I raised daughters and things. So I was like psyched to talk with her and stuff. And it just so happened that I was traveling back to my hometown for the interview. And I remember setting up the interview and I'm sitting in my like childhood bedroom with like my hockey posters and things up on the wall. And I'm like, oh my God, this is the worst imposter syndrome of all time. Cause I'm like, this lady's like a professional and I'm sitting in my childhood room with like the Homer Simpson alarm clock. And I'm like, oh my God. But it's just, it's just funny. And I don't, I mean, there's, I don't know what people's advice is for dealing with it. I mean, have you talked to anybody who you look up to in the sport? Like I know you're friends with a lot of like just absolutely incredible ultra runners, but yeah. Like, well, you, do they feel the same way? Um, yeah. I mean, my close friends, um, we all, we share that. So it's more of like a support group for people. Who, <laughs> um, and then, you know, of course, like Ashley and Jason, um, who like, I mean, Ashley has such a solid, like way of framing things like that. And, and I know she's felt it. Um, and I talked with her about it, but, um, she, she is one of those people that rises to the top. Um, Jason also, and he just, he, when he writes about it, it's just, it resonates, um, on such a high level. He really dives in, in deep, um, with that topic sometimes. Um, and even recently, just about any shortcomings you could possibly feel or reasons that you would feel not good enough. Um, I think, um, I think for me, it's just kind of a lack of, of confidence and, and needing validation because I, you know, just feel like I don't belong. Like it's, it's weird. Ultra running is an individual sport. It's, you don't have a team, right. But, but you kind of do because you have your running community or your friends that you run with or, or talk about running with. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's weird. Um, I, like I used to have some, some ideas of like, I will know that I've made it when, if I can ever finish a race on the podium. Yeah. And then past year I did 
twice and was so stunned by it. And it was this big rush of like validation and hard work paid off. And I did everything I could to minimize that. Like I went on and looked at previous year's times and measured my times, even on the podium against other people who were faster. And I, you know, told myself, oh, if I had run it this year or a different previous year, I wouldn't have been second or, you know, just really stupid things that, yeah. that done. and um, I would tell myself like, well, you know, you've made it as an ultra runner when you go from like being an ambassador for a company that's like pay to play. So pay to be on the, you know, the club team. Um, if you, if you then just are given things for free. Um, and like my, one of my big goals was to get free shoes. And I, now this year, I haven't talked to really about a, on socials or anything like that, but I'm on the ultra run crew. Um, so I do get free shoes, but then I also get paid, which that was like a higher tier. Like, oh, if you get paid to do running stuff, um, then you've made it. And I just haven't had that feeling like that light bulb of, oh, you've made it. You've arrived. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, it's I weird. The bar, it's like the bar keeps moving almost. And as you access one level, now there's another level to access. And it's hard because you're like, there's always going to be levels of, like above you in anything, you know? And there's always going to be people who are better than you. And I think yeah. that I, I've stayed grounded in, in that respect. Um, but that, that resonated a lot more with me in like in the FKT world. Um, just because that when you set a record, it's meant, it's meant to be broken. Like someone else will come along and take it from you. So the, the mentality, like knowing that when you go into it, into a hard effort is important. Racing is different. I think, like we invest in it. Like I pay for my races. I, I like it's the cost of traveling to get to them and you know, everyone who's involved. And so you, you put a lot of, um, on them to, to perform and, yeah. um, it's hard. I, so one thing you actually messaged when we were like, what can we, what can we plan on talking about for the show and stuff? I think is really interesting is like, I think you messaged something about like finding one's place in ultra running. Mm -hmm. And I love that idea because to me, it's like, that's like the battle of the imposter syndrome because your place in the ultra running world is going to look different than so-and-so's place. You know what I mean? And it looks different than anyone else's. It's a unique thing that you can bring to the table, um, which is really like, to me, that's the thing that's inspiring and makes the world fun is like everyone's bringing this unique thing, you know, and like I understand because like especially like for me doing this podcast, for example, it's like, yeah, there are people I'll definitely look up to and at probably in the beginning phases of doing it, like I was like, oh, man, maybe I could emulate so and so. And and then realizing like as you do it, you're like, well, I can't emulate anybody because I'm my own thing. You know, like I, I specifically remember listening to a podcast and this guy would pause. I think it was like Tim Ferriss, like smart guy. That's what uh -huh. I say. That's like his title, smart guy. And he'd pause after they said something and he'd be like, interesting. And I was like, oh, shit. And I was like taking notes. I'm like, say interesting. And uh 
<laughs> and then I was like, dude, that sounds that's so inauthentic because I don't I don't ever say that. So um, instead, I replaced it with sweet dude. And uh, <laughs> but yeah, so I guess that's my thing is like, I think that's the com the way to combat that is understanding your place is going to look different than anyone else's and thinking about the impact you can have in your own unique way. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think that that, um, you know, I, I think about that, like, again, I, and try not to be so self-critical and be like, why am I so judgy or why am I doing this and thinking this way? Um, it's all very human and natural. But when I'm when I consider like how I might measure myself against other people or on other individuals, I have to be very careful because finding my place is very personal. And I have a personal story, you know, in, in the ultra world, people are so vastly different from each other. One of my friends said recently, like, wow, you know, going to a starting line of a 200 miler, you must just be in the like melting pot of really fascinating people. And what a variety of people there truly are people. I mean, every single person at a starting line of a 200 has a really interesting story of like, what they've done, why they're there, how they got there, what they're planning, like what their goals are. So when I'm, you know, when I'm comparing myself to either people I know or just like blank faces, essentially, people I, I don't know at all, it does a disservice to them too, because I'm not considering their story and their place in ultra running and, and what got them there. It's all very unique. Um, I think sometimes like I, I, document so much on social media about my process and how I'm feeling and what I'm doing. Um, I think almost sometimes to, to make up for what I perceive as my own weaknesses. Like I'm, I'm trying to be transparent about the process, but sometimes I feel like I'm being a little bit too open maybe um because i'm lacking confidence in like myself just as a pure athlete and so i dive into like the insecurity of what i'm feeling on a given day or what some of my weaknesses are and you really have to spend time also like celebrating your strengths and talking about believing in yourself and and being very optimistic and then i don't want to come off as um like pompous or proud or yeah. you know myself and I want to be humble but I also want to you know it's this weird like with the more you share with the world the more you open yourself up to not just criticism from other people but self-criticism yeah I'm also like learning that but yeah finding finding your spot in in ultra running or in you know in anything is is uh, a journey yeah. And that's kind of like the fun goal of life, I feel like, but I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, that's, I think what I find um, best about it is every, all the lessons I learn about ultra running are applicable to my life. All the emotions you go through, the, the barriers, um, it, it mirrors everything so well. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's so cool. I I do have to ask you about one final story, and it, I because I didn't even mention the snowman race, which was like literally the first thing I wrote here. Um, I I was rooting you guys on, like I was I was 
updating myself through Instagram, like as you and Ashley were running, because I, I can't remember how I found out. I think Jason probably told me about it. Um, yeah. But so I know, and I don't know if this is a painful story, but <laughs> I know you had a rough time. It's legitimately the hardest race in the world. I'm pretty confident uh, just like reading about it. I'm like, dude, that sounds insanely hard. So you're yeah. like above like 16,000 feet for most of the race, which is insanity. And it's in Bhutan. And we did a great episode with Ashley Winchester about it. Um, but you just kind of like, what does it feel like when you're that high up and you're starting to have physical issues? Like, what is that like? It's weird. Um, the highest day um, I wasn't alone. I spent with one of the other runners, Nate, which was just like such a gift um, because we were well matched for that particular day. Um, and things just get weird. It's, it's kind of like when you start hallucinating in a race, but I felt, I felt less control over my body. I felt yeah. like I was incredibly hard to go like comically slowly but working so hard and I couldn't even like, I would, I would think of something funny to say to him. And then I would just giggle because I couldn't say it out loud <laughs> because I was so exhausted and just focusing on trying to walk. And so I was just like giggle. And I took so few pictures because that was extra effort too. Um, I mean that race, I am still processing it. Talk about being hard on yourself about something because that whole experience and situation was so new to me. And in some ways, I mean, I, I got so much out of it and it was beautiful. It was also really hard and it was a huge learning experience. And I'm, I'm still beating myself up about like, oh, I should have handled this better or I should have been more gracious. Um, I should have focused less on myself because at one point, um, like our race director who, who is outstanding, um, and like a, a great human, um, you know, had expressed like some confidence in me as far as racing the race. And I kind of, I was like, okay, I want, I'm going to do as, as good a job as I can. I can do this. I'm, I'm going to compete. Um, and at the same time, you also had to hold this idea of like, the reason we're here, there's a mission behind it and it's not an individual mission either. Like there's a, there's a purpose of why we're here around like highlighting climate change, highlighting how beautiful the country is, the impact. Um, and, um, so dealing with like disappointment of around like being pulled from a race for the first time and, and, um, you know, just being in a completely different race situation, nothing like being in an ultra race here um, or or probably most other places in the world, probably a very experience in the entire world. Um, uh, in, in some ways, I just, I, I wish in the moment I had been like this perfectly graceful ballerina of like, yes, everything that's coming to me is wonderful and I will take it in stride and um, and it, it wasn't always like that and that's okay. <laughs> I think I keep having to remind myself, um, of that and, uh, 
And that experience was, was a huge thing that still, I'm still processing and still learning from, which means that it was incredibly rich. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I know that you kind of dove into it a lot with Ashley. Thank God that she was there too, because I mean, we were before it, but, um, you know, uh, invaluable, um, and she's a big role model of mine. So her and how she's been processing it too. Yeah, that's that's awesome that you guys have that together to kind of talk through because it's such a weird, unique experience that I'm sure it'd be fine, hard to find like other people to kind of like commiserate with or whatever. I think like more to your to your question directly about like what is it like like up that high and I mean you're in the Himalaya and so you know that and mentally it's like holy cow um, you're you're also in like the sort of in the lower Himalaya. So we went up to 18,000 feet. Um, still very, very high, very remote. Um, not a race course. Like there would be miles and miles of like up to knee deep mud, rocks and like not anything you could avoid. So it was just really, it wasn't a trail like that you would run. It was uh, a rough route um, that <laughs> course like, we would, we would pass or while well, horse trains would pass us. So you're th- like, you know, big horse hooves, just, you know, knocking up the trail, making it really ruddy and w- where there was a trail to follow. Um, and then up high, just stark and desolate and, um, just unreal. It was, it was definitely a different race than anything. Like I think about bad water or hard rock here um, difficult races, but not anything that we are unused to seeing running in Bhutan was, was like being on a different planet. (laughs) That's wild. Yeah. I mean, props to you. Like I said to Ashley, like props to you guys for even taking that thing on. Like it's, it looked amazing. Being invited. I think I I don't want to speak for her, but for me, like being invited for something like that was incredible. And there was no way that I would, that I would say no. Um, that was an honor. That was another one of those signs like, Hey, like you're being invited to join. What does that make you? I guess maybe an elite athlete, but like, it feels weird to say that out loud. Um, and I kept thinking like, there's so many other athletes they could have asked and, and then like, how did I handle the whole situation? And would someone else have handled it better? Or like, would someone else have performed better? And and did I belong here? And it's just like all of these questions. And at the end of the day, I have to remind myself like, yes, yes, you belong. You know, like you, you just have to learn from every experience and take as much as you can from it. Like that's what you have to do in life in general. You, you take what's thrown at you and, and, more important than how you handle it in the moment or how you perceive yourself or is what you keep learning and take with you afterwards. So that's like my biggest lesson. That's amazing. Well, Emily, that's like probably a good place to wrap it. Um, Can you kind of tell people like, where can we follow your future adventures? Cocodona, are you going to be wearing a big cowboy hat so we can spot (laughs) you from the drone shots? what in Oregon I'm supposed to wear on my hat. Yeah, what are you? Like a lumberjack um, thing? Like you dress like a 
Lumberjill <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, I'll be wearing some of my team gear. So I'll have um, some ultra stuff for sure. Um, and and probably some stuff from Rabbit. But uh, yeah, so I can be found. I'm I'm on Instagram. That's where I document a lot of a lot of things. It's not all running. There's a splattering of like backpacking and friends and my dog and um, but I write a lot. I usually maximize the amount um, of space. So if you like to read um, and kind of dive more into these kinds of topics, Instagram is Emily in dot the wild. Um, and then I, of course, I'm on Strava. If you want to see my nice slow runs, I do a lot of slow running training. Um, and then like ultra sign up, I, you know, for races that I'm registered for. That's um, awesome. Nice. Well, yeah, that's awesome. When I I will be watching Cocodona live stream and rooting you on for sure. Awesome. Thanks so much. It's it's really um it it is cool when you're running one of those races to know like people are watching, people are rooting for you, and that for me it really just like just um you know gives me a, a good push and it makes me feel like um like I, okay I can do this yeah. um. I'll have to like talk to you about it too. Cause it's different when it's just like a blue dot, you know, where people are watching your blue dot versus like, Oh, I saw you. Like I saw a video and you ran by. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. That's cool. Well, awesome, Emily. Well, uh, thank you so much for doing this. And yeah, I would absolutely love to talk with you again, uh, at some point after future adventures. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a, a kind of a busy, busy spring coming up a couple of races and then, uh, and some other kind of fun stuff some backpacking and river rafting and um this year so it's it's gonna be fun however it all shakes out it's gonna be a good one so yeah that's awesome thanks for time to talk with me yeah all right that wraps up this week's episode of the like a bigfoot podcast huge thanks to emily for coming on the show and and thanks for diving into some of those those uh kind of harder to talk about topics you know um i think there's something to be said about when we open up about some of the struggles we're facing, maybe even in our own minds. Um, it kind of is a way to connect us to each other. And you hear Emily talk about what she's struggled with uh, as she's advanced in uh, ultra running. And at least for me, I'm like, you know, it's it's weirdly not, I don't want to say comforting because then it sounds like I'm comforted by some of the things she's struggling with but it's weirdly like it's re it's just relatable like I said in the intro I think all of us have had struggles with the imposter syndrome in anything we're doing and it's really relatable to hear someone kind of open up about that you know and uh, and open up about like the perception we have of other people and how it kind of affects us and what we're trying to do and what we're trying to accomplish and I mean, that's something in every single area of life that we struggle with. I was thinking about <laughs> uh, other times I felt the imposter syndrome. 100% um, the day my uh, daughter Harper was born and, you know, you go through the, the, the like intensity of the actual like birth. And by you go through that, I mean, my wife goes through that, <laughs> but I was in there too. And, uh you know, um, kind of witnessed her going through like 
how intense of a process that is. And really for everybody, it's an intense life moment. Um, but then after they, they moved us to another room and, and now you have your little beautiful, wonderful child and it's like two in the morning and you're like, Oh, and it hits you all of a sudden. You're like, I'm now the person responsible and the person taking care of this little human being. And at first you're like, who is, who is trusting me with doing this? This is what parents do. And then all of a sudden it hits you. You're like, oh my God, like I'm a parent now. Um, and I'm sure like definitely in that moment, I'm like, oh, this is wild. But I think the more, um, we struggle with imposter syndrome in, in all sorts of areas in our life. Uh, I think the more we can get used to that struggle and that battle. And that's why I think it's really important to keep learning new things, keep trying new things, keep exploring life in that way and keep being a beginner. Um, every time you're a beginner, you're going to struggle with the imposter syndrome with whatever you're beginning. Um, you know, for me teaching, being dad, uh, filmmaking, doing the podcast, ultra running. And then even just like times I've, you know, showed up to my first yoga class and you're just like, Oh my God, like all these people know what they're doing and I don't. And all of that, it's just this struggle that you deal with. But the more you expose yourself to that struggle, the more comfortable you're going to get in that space. And the more you can, like we talked about, like logically people can tell you like, Hey, you're, we all feel this way. Like Tom Hanks probably has the imposter syndrome at times. Um, Tom Hanks is always my go-to, uh, one day on my bucket list, high five Tom Hanks. Um, but anyways, so we all struggle with that. People can say that, but I think like actually going through the experience and understanding how you felt in that moment, um, will help you out. And the more you expose yourself to it, the better you'll be. Um, and then also Emily mentioned uh, like wishing she could handle something gracefully like a ballerina. And speaking from as a man who now has 17 hours of ballerina training, ballet training, um, who went, who graduated, by the way, from absolute beginner to simply beginner. Um, <laughs> I have to say like, I think ballerinas are tricking us. That's what I'm, I'm going to say that right now. Like they look so graceful and landing and they're smiling. And it's just like, oh, they just make that look easy. When in reality, that whole entire process is straining gracefully. Like you're straining gracefully. You're at the end of your range of motion and you're pushing it even farther and yet you're going to make that look like it's no big deal. And when you land, you're going to land like you're on a cloud when in reality you just tiptoed and spun around like a billion times and all of a sudden you're landing and it's not a graceful thing and yet you made it look graceful. So uh, in other words, that shit is hard and uh, they're definitely physically like pushing them like obviously like it's just ridiculously hard but it's one of those things right like it's kind of this the imposter syndrome in a nutshell it's like we look at other people and we put we we think that it's easy for them and why is it hard for me 
um, when in reality, we're all humans and we're all in this together and there's struggles all over the place. Um, and I think it's just something to, to keep in mind when you're doing these things. Also, side note, once I get 20 hours of ballet, I'm totally doing an episode about it and it's going to be a strange episode, but I've had a very weird, interesting experience through this whole thing going from, I wanted to pick an activity I knew absolutely nothing about, nothing, had no training, zero knowledge of, and I wanted to dive in uh, headfirst into it. And it's been super cool and super interesting to me. And uh, yeah, I can't wait to talk about it. So uh, that'll be at some point in the future. But uh, but yeah, that wraps up this week's show. Huge thanks to Emily. Uh, make sure you're following along. Make sure you're cheering her on at Coca Dona so she knows she has a whole group of people in her corner um, supporting her through that very difficult race. So uh, that's it. We will get back at you next week. <laughs>